Welcome to the CondoVultures.com podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski, a Miami real estate broker, Wall Street consultant, and expert witness. This podcast is focused on identifying real estate buying opportunities in the South Florida condo market, Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. The CondoVultures.com podcast is not authorized by the South Florida real estate industry and will most likely annoy many of the region's talking heads. This podcast will feature straight talk and salty language that could be offensive to some. Please remember that part that past investment success does not determine future gains, especially in the South Florida's volatile condo market. For more information, please visit condovultures.com. Welcome to the Condo Vultures podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. This is episode two. If you didn't listen to episode one, I'd encourage you to do so. All the episodes we're going to be doing going forward, and these are at least weekly uh, podcasts, all the episodes uh, going forward, they're all going to kind of build upon a foundation. So if you're jumping in uh, on this episode and you haven't listened to episode one, I'd encourage you to do so. The basic premise of the podcast is to try to give you straight talk, a little bit of salty language. I tend to be a little bit, um, you know, I don't always necessarily have a good um, uh, vocabulary terms of I tend to curse a little bit. Um, uh, uh, check out the podcast. Uh, listen to this podcast. But what I will tell you is if you can get through it, you're going to get some great information. Now, for this podcast, I want to introduce you to a former journalist, longtime Miamian, and somebody who's now has his own business is, and is in the uh, public relations marketing business. So he's got some great perspective about what's going on with businesses on the ground in Miami in the South Florida area, as well as what sort of happened uh, in the past and what can we take from the past and apply it to the future, uh, ultimately in Miami. But what we're trying to do with the podcast, we're trying to educate uh, investors and would-be buyers as to really what Miami's all about, what the game is really about. Now, a lot of people come from different cities uh, or states or countries. They try to play in the Miami real estate game. And what they find is it's dramatically different. So I want you to look at these podcasts as a great way to get some straight talk about what's really going on, what the reality is, and ultimately give you a sense of what they call down here the Miami hustle. It's not necessarily negative, but it's just a way of doing business. So um, we're going to take a little break. After that break, we're going to get into the um, podcast, which is going to feature a good friend of mine, former colleague, uh, former journalist, somebody who's got a lot of street cred in terms of um, uh, the South Florida marketplace, especially on the real estate side. And I have a feeling you're going to uh, really enjoy and appreciate uh, this podcast runs a little bit longer than the one hour that I've sort of um, uh, setting for myself. That being said, uh, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. So welcome to Condo Vultures uh, podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. As I mentioned in the opening segment, um, I'm very excited to bring on uh, what I would say uh, uh, 
let's call it personality character uh, to the podcast. Um, Gentleman's going to be a regular contributor to our podcast going forward as well. He's part of the stable. I have a former journalist uh, all from the Miami area who's been on the ground for quite some time. They all got some gray hair. They've all sort of seen the Miami hustle for years, and they're going to be able to sort of cut through the bullshit and help us understand what's really sort of going out there. I tend to be a little bit more on the negative or pessimistic side. Some people call me a chicken little. Um, uh, gentleman I'm bringing on is probably a little bit more, let's call it realistic, or at least uh, his, his glass is uh, half full, if you will. So with that, I want to bring on Oscar Musabai, former journalist, and now today uh, the uh, partner in a um, public relations marketing firm based here in uh, Miami. You there, Oscar? Yeah, Peter. How you doing? Hey, man, everything is good. Everything is good. We're dealing with the, the corona and the uh, COVID-19 and all that, if you will, um, but uh, trying to do our best. How about you? How are you? How's the family? Right now, everyone's safe, thank goodness, and uh, hopefully it'll stay that way. You know, I, I'm thinking that it'll be at least another month before the stay-at-home ends, maybe more. So it's going to be difficult. Well, if you are somebody in the real estate market, unlike a lot of the PR, uh, uh, all due respect, a lot of the PR information that's being put out there, Oscar, uh, chances are it's going to be a great time to buy because no one's going to be able to unload their properties. And if they're behind on their mortgage and they're behind on their rents or they're not getting paid rent, it could be creating some very interesting scenarios, um, which I'm going to want to discuss with you. But Oscar, this is sort of what I'm thinking. Um, I want to dedicate two segments to you. Uh, the first segment, I want to talk a little bit about who you are and sort of what your experience is. I want the audience to understand uh, uh, sort of the, the breadth of your understanding and your, your experience on the ground. And then the second segment, I really sort of want to pick your brain and get some perspective about what you see going on. How does this situation compare to, say, the Great Recession? And then also have you tap into maybe some of your business clients out there who you're out there representing and you're uh, doing marketing for, what are they sort of thinking? So we can give some real time on the street information to some of the, um, uh, some of the listeners. What, what, what do you uh, think about that uh, rules of engagement proposal? Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, the reality for me is that I'm not going to bullshit you. And uh, even if we're talking about something that involves a client of mine, I'm not going to specifically mention my client by name or companies by name, I'm going to talk generally because I think it allows for a little more um, control over how much frankness you can have in this situation. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how far we can take this idea. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. All right. All right. Uh, just one disclosure for the audience. Um, you might hear some background noise. You might hear some birds chirping. You might hear the, uh, a nice breeze coming in. That's actually coming off the Caribbean Sea. I'm actually sitting outside of my uh, place, and I'm trying to get some clean air while I can uh, try to avoid some of those germs. So if you hear background noise, uh, tough shit, deal with it. Um, so <laughs> that being said, uh, let's get started. Oscar, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, you? Where were you born? Where were you raised? And uh, give us sort of a synopsis, and then from that point, we'll drill down into some of your experience. So I was born in Cuba, and I came when I was three years old, and, uh, you know, like most families who came from Cuba, we had a very uh, slow start in terms of making money and um, and moving around and not knowing uh, the language. And eventually things improved. Uh, I went to public school. I went to private school. I graduated from Monsignor Pace in Opelaka, which at the time I graduated was a football school now. Um, I'm sorry, it was a baseball school. Now it's more of a football school. And uh, I went to Miami-Dade College and also FIU, 
where I graduated with a degree in English, of all things. But I didn't want to be a teacher. And uh, a gentleman from the Miami Herald came to my class. It was a journalism class. His name is Manny Garcia, one of the most important journalists in our country. And now he's an editor at USA Today. At least the last time I checked, he was. And um, he said, if anyone wants an internship, come down. And I went down and, you know, I broke my head against the wall for a couple of years until I learned the basics of how to write a story because really I had very little experience. And it took an editor named Maria Garcia to really open up my heart and my eyes to what would become this wonderful adventure that is journalism. And she basically told me after a, a meeting that I covered that I didn't cover very well, that I had to decide whether this is what I wanted to do or not. And uh, if not, I had to go. And I said, yes, I made that decision and I really committed myself and I really started to excel and I broke some big stories at the Herald. And at the time, Dave Lawrence was the publisher and Lawrence had an incredible eye for talent. And there were a lot of young reporters and editors in that environment that now are all over the country, Washington Post, New York Times. Um, some of them are still here. And for me, it was a way to really uh, jump to a lot of different types of journalism. I didn't choose one path to stay at the Herald my entire career. I decided that I wanted some risk and some adventure. And I went to work for the Associated Press. I worked for the Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, Oscar. Time out. Yeah. Uh, any, anybody out there listening is going to be saying, holy shit, the Miami Herald, then he goes to the Associated Press. Right. But before you make that transition, can you talk a little bit about what the Miami Herald used to be? I'm not talking about yeah. the remnants of it today, which basically right. the parent company filed for bankruptcy a couple yeah. months back, according to press reports. Now right. they've basically been scaled down to just a you know a handful of reporters. They're still doing the best they can, but there's not the resources behind it like there used to be back in the day. Right. Can you talk a little bit about walking into One Herald Plaza? Yeah, One Herald Plaza was one of the most beautiful buildings that I had ever walked into. And anyone who ever walked into the, the main uh, first floor uh, level, uh, if you, you could see into the advertising section, which had these incredible vaulted ceilings made out of glass and terrazzo floors. And it was just a wondrous place full of names that you had read about and, you know, seen in the movies. And, uh, it was just an incredibly eye opening and exciting place to be. And I used to work in neighbors and neighbors was a, like the smaller AAA of the Miami Herald. And every time that we got an assignment to go downtown and work for a week down there, it was like, you know, being called up to the majors. And it was just an incredible, uh, tense, intense experience. And you felt like you were really learning from the best in the business. And again, all those names are now at the forefront of where journalism today now it is today. Now, the Herald today, as Peter was saying, doesn't have as many people. So when I was there downtown i mean there were multiple reporters just covering the city of miami multiple reporters covering the county and now you have one reporter that'll cover the entire county that's a lot it's a lot to cover the same in the city of miami uh it's it's a very difficult environment but the herald is still producing incredible content i mean the epstein story was rebroken by the herald but it really took hold because the herald put someone julie brown on it who really turned and, and Oscar, could you, give, could, could you give listeners a little perspective about the Epstein story that you refer to? So the Epstein story had been uh, Jeffrey Epstein, who was uh, 
put in prison because of his uh, situation with young women where he was creating this network of young women to be used for his own, you know, purposes, as well as for other famous people who were uh, who were in that same circle. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was arrested and charged with all kinds of different things, but that didn't take place until the last two years because the, the, the Miami Herald broke this incredible series that focused on all these young women that had been uh, basically taken and trained to become prostitutes for Epstein and others. And it was just such a, a devastating story uh, in terms of the detail, the level of detail, the, the level of corruption, not only in, in Epstein and his his immediate circle of, of comrades, but also the level of uh, corruption that existed in all these different political figures that were associated with him, that took his money, that flew on his plane, that uh, went to his properties. And all of that, the fallout from all that is still being felt and, and the ripples of all that are still coming down. You know, and, I, uh, I ask you not to interrupt, but but, but I, th- sure. I think I think what everybody's uh, starting to uh, immediately understand is even though the staff has been half down, they're still yes. producing some great stuff. So just imagine Incredible. back in the day when you first started working at the Herald, what they were able to do. Oh, yeah, it's 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 just the Herald was on par with The New York Times, with The Washington Post in terms of national uh, notoriety. And again, some of the reporters who've been there in the last five years are now at a national level. Now we're fortunate that people like Andre Piglucci and others are still here. Thank God, because they are the backbone of what this paper is all about in town. Renee uh, Rodriguez, who's uh, covering real estate for the business section, Joey Fletcher, who covers the city of Miami, Doug Hanks, who covers the County. I mean, all these are important players who continue to produce great content for uh, the Herald, but anyway, so so the, I, in fact, you know, it, it, this is probably the great time to say it. One of the reasons you and I have been kicking around this podcast for so long, and we've been doing it for a couple of years, just finally are going forward and doing it right now, is because the software finally has caught up with what our kind of our ideas were, yes, or are. Yes. And what somebody who influenced me, there was remember Larry Berger. Larry Berger used to be a columnist for the Miami Herald. He wrote about business. Yes. He also did yeah. a whole variety of uh, uh, other things over at the business section. He used to do a program over on WLRN, which is a local affiliate for uh, NPR. And I remember yep. listening to him and the information he was putting out and the appetite that was there. Basically, if Larry were alive today, and unfortunately he's obviously passed, he was alive today. Just imagine what he could be doing with a podcast. So um, I'm not saying you and I and everyone else who comes on this podcast is going to try to match that. But that's basically what I aspire to sort of um, uh, uh, sort of turn this podcast into straight talk, maybe a little bit rough at times, but, you know, giving people, you know, sort of what's going on on the street real time. Well, one other thing that I want to say is that at the same time that the Herald was producing such great content, we were you and I, Peter, were in an environment where we were competing against some of the best reporters in real estate. And you and I both covered you know, Miami-Dade. But at some point, I I began covering all three counties and we were competing against the Herald. And it was just as important as crime, just as important as, uh, you know, covering government. Real estate was really at the core of three newspapers, at least, that produced content on a a large scale 
that's Miami Today, South Florida Business Journal, and Daily Business Review, all three of which had an enormous real estate uh, category. And we were winning awards. We were, you know, running around town. People were both, you know, joyous of seeing us walk through the door and, <laughs> and scare at the same time because potentially what we were going to write was going to have, you know, an enormous impact on the no- local real estate market. So I think that for me was when I really matured as a journalist and really understood how important real estate is to everything else. It touches banking, tourism, everything. So I know that you covering banking, you were one of my, you know, one of the people that I felt was a mentor, even though you're a little younger than me. A lot younger, I'd say, my friend, all due respect. (laughs) (laughs) Because you were so good at it. I mean, it was really, and when we worked together, I think we did some phenomenal work. So, you know, we cut our teeth in, in this industry. We had a lot of fun. And at times people hated us. I mean, I got threatening calls at my house sometimes when I was covering things. And uh, some of the people that we covered who hated and, and maybe that small amount that loved us are still out there doing a lot of the same business that they were doing when we were running around as reporters. So yeah, that's yeah, exciting. But, but now today they call it the Miami Hustle. <laughs> exactly. The Miami Hustle. Yeah, you know the hustle better than anybody. I mean, you've been in movies because of your real estate experience so you have whoa 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 not because of the experience i like to think it was the good looks come on are you saying i got a face for radio (laughs) yes definitely for radio (laughs) or for podcasts or for podcasts now now oscar um i i think you gave me an idea i think we should dedicate a segment or it may possibly an entire podcast in the future talking about journalism today and in in the past and what sort of impact it has on real estate so I don't yeah. want to dig too much deeper on that because I think we can probably uh, really kick this around um, on a future podcast. So, but I wanted people to get an understanding of what the Herald was and what the climate was versus sort of today. Now, from the from the Miami Herald, uh, you go on and you work for the Associated Press. Anybody who doesn't know the Associated Associated Press? They effectively are setting this this storyline, the budget for the country and possibly even the world every day when they come out with their big stories. Papers around the world then pick up these Associated Press stories and they run with it. And it leads to a lot of big and, and, and wonderful things. So can you talk a little bit about the Associated Press? Yeah, before I, I got to the Associated Press, I actually was at Miami New Times where I failed miserably. But I learned how to be an even better writer, which was you know an incredible gift to me. And they were extremely kind and everything. But uh, it worked out perfectly because in the end, I ended up working for the Associated Press, which was an amazing experience. And I was there, actually, I was part of the team that broke the Cunanan story, uh, you know, where Cunanan is serial You're you're talking about Andrew Cunanan, the guy who uh, basically executed Gianni Versace on his um, steps going into his house on Ocean Drive in South Beach? That's right. And he started, I think he started in Chicago or had some connection to Chicago, and he was coming down. And uh, we broke the story that, it was Cunanan who uh, the police suspected had killed Versace. Wow. And uh, that was a huge story. I mean, the funniest part about all that is that there was a news conference at the Miami Beach uh, police station outside of the station. And <laughs> there were so many people on the street that they sat in uh, just regular people on the news conference along with the reporters. So at some point, the, the public was asking questions of the police. Oh, my gosh. And the police were answering the questions. It was, <laughs> it was such a free for all. 
And uh, we ended up at Zeke's, which is this bar on Lincoln Road. And the funniest thing is formally, formally on Lincoln. No, Road. they reopened. Zeke's they reopened? reopened. I thought it was yes. like Brazilian train stop or it had some kind of. No, weird no, name. no, no, no. You got to you got to swing by there. You got to swing by there. It's reopened. So okay. that's where we went to celebrate after. So because that story was so huge. All right. So let, let me just stop you for anybody who doesn't know what Zeke's is. Zeke's basically is on Lincoln Road. Lincoln Road is the main pedestrian mall in South Beach, which is the top tourist destination effectively in South Florida. So when you go to South Beach, you basically get crappy food and you pay way too much and you get rude uh, servers for the most part. Well, used right. to be. Well, let's see how it is after coronavirus. But what yeah. you got in return is you got the people watch. So Zeke's niche was the guy running it. His mother or somebody in the family owned the building. And what he yes. did is he sold domestic beers for like two bucks a beer and imports yeah. for three versus next yes. door at some other restaurant. They were going to bang you for eight or nine or ten bucks. So everybody would right. go to Zeke's, especially those who are a little bit frugal, uh, such as myself, which surprised me. You were actually there. Yeah, well, Zeke's is reopened. Not right now, obviously, but Zeke's, everything is five bucks. So all the beer is imported domestic. It doesn't matter. It's five bucks. And uh, the lady who owned it way back is now running it because her son, who used to run it, is in Broward with a variation of Zeke's in Broward, uh, I think, in Fort Lauderdale. So I I went there. I was so excited. I sat with her for about an hour. I had a beer, long conversation about those days, talking about Cunan and everything else. And, and, and for anybody who doesn't remember, that would have been late 90s. What was that, like 97, summer 97, 98, something like that, Oscar? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the year, yeah. Okay. I think that was it. So um, at that point, South Beach was, you know, uh, an incredible uh, magnet for a lot of different types of people, different ages, different, uh, you know, interests. And there were a lot of different kinds of bars. Washington Avenue was packed with bars, not really anymore. And it was a, a really kind of wild place to run around, which was which was fun. But anyway, uh, so after the Associated Press in Miami. I went to California for the Associated Press. Wasn't there very long. Came back. Where, where were you in California? I lived in Los Angeles. So I covered Michael Jackson. I covered um, uh, the Beach Boys. I covered Sinatra. Okay, uh, so, so, so the audience is sitting here listening and they're saying, okay, why the hell do you got some pretty boy on this podcast where you're supposed to be straight talk and possibly a little bit of salty language? Tell us how right. you go from all of these rock stars, <laughs> literally, right. into real estate, in finance. So when I came back from L.A., I was uh, writing for a business as basically an industrial writer, writing manuals and things like that. And uh, um, I got the opportunity to work with... Uh, someone who I had met at the Associated Press, which was Eddie Dominguez. He was the executive editor over there. And uh, who, 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 who by the way, is now a and still is a banker. Eddie got That's smart. Right. He, he got the hell out of journalism because he wasn't paying anything. And he went into banking and now he's banking, literally. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, the communications director. I mean, I think his title is executive VP or senior VP for uh, one of the banks down here. And uh, definitely one of the smartest bakers on the street, I would say. I'm telling you that he is that that guy is a genius. So uh, he hired me at the Daily Business Review, which was, you know, very kind of him to do. And then we started really killing it. We were, uh, you know, just 
running and gunning with uh, the best competition in town on the biggest stories, breaking a lot of news, get, uh, winning a lot of awards. It was very exciting and fun. And we broke some very controversial stories and all of it had to do with real estate, which I had never covered before. So I had to jump into a whole new area, but the skill that I have that has always served me well in journalism is that I'm very driven, driven. I'm very ambitious and I take a lot of risks. So I push the envelope and I protect people, which to me is the most important thing is to protect my sources, my sources. Yep. So no matter what happened, I was willing to go to jail if it came to that. And that, you know, you hear that about journalists that they're willing to do that. And I was ready. I was ready to go, you know, put me in and I'll deal with whatever the consequences were because when I dealt with a source and they told me something that was not supposed to be attached to them, they knew a hundred percent that I would never expose them. And I never did. Yep. So uh, as a result, I was very successful in my little tiny world of Miami, you know? Yeah. But come on, let's be serious. Miami is a tiny community. There's only so it many is. people sort of uh, doing what they're doing. It's, it's not as massive. as Maybe some people would think I would really sort of call it a big, small town, if you will. It is. It is. And there's, it's basically the same players over and over again. It's not like you have so many. Now things might be a little different because we've gotten to the level where there's so much money that you have all these developers from out of town that are coming here and doing big projects in places like Wynwood. And, you know, there are different places that are maturing and, and people see opportunities on the industrial side, you know, on the office side. So um, how I got into real estate was just chance that that opportunity opened up and you know i became like i said you and i were in that same boat you know that little dinghy which is yep. basically some people loved us and some people hated us but, but, that's but okay. you know what though oscar i mean w w one of the underlying themes i think in uh, your personality and your demeanor is your fairness and i think at yeah. the end of the day you were always fair people might not have liked you or probably still don't like you i'm not exactly fond right. of you myself but that being right. said, that being said, you're always fair. And if someone's fair, yeah. they're going to give you a fair shake. You're going to listen yes. to what sort of what they have to say. Now, now, Oscar, yeah. um, uh, we ran through some time very quickly. So what I yes. want to do is I want to I want to take a short break. We're going to okay. uh, we're going to put out an ad, um, yes. and then we're going to we're going to catch up uh, on the okay. other side of the commercial to talk a little Sounds bit about um, uh, going from that point forward. Is it, is that good? It work for you? Yeah, that's great. Let's okay. do it. Okay, so uh, here's an ad from one of our sponsors, and we'll catch you on the other side. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. Um, before we took our, our little short break there, and you know, I hope you like that ad because, uh, you know, 
uh, it's a little subjective. There's a little bit of favoritism, but you know, that being said, but, but if you are somebody who wants to advertise, you want to hit our, our, uh, our target market, which tends to be those who are over 35, they got a bunch of cash. They got some gray hair and, uh, they don't take bullshit. If you're trying to hit that audience, um, you know, uh, reach out to, uh, me at inquiry at condovultures.com inquiry at condovultures.com, or you can give a call to the office 305-865-865. 5859-305-865-5859. And um, we, we'll give you some information if you do uh, uh, would want to um, uh, advertise on one of our podcasts going forward. For what it's worth, just a reminder, these podcasts are going to run at least weekly. If there's a situation that arises that maybe uh, prompts it, we'll be doing other podcasts uh, along the way. But you can at least count on it uh, once a week. Granted, it's an hour-long podcast or so. We might tend to run a little bit over over budget, if you will. But the idea is not to uh, basically waste your time. We want to give you a lot of uh, good intel you can then take and you can apply. And uh, hopefully you're going to get some laughs. There's a little bit of dark sense of humor, some sarcasm involved. But uh, uh, it's it, very good intentions. So with that, uh, let me kick it back to Oscar. Oscar, before we took our break, you were talking a little bit about how um, – you were out in Los Angeles and you were running with the likes of Michael Jackson, Frank Sinatra, and uh, some of those other rock stars. You yep. come back to Miami, you're writing some manuals, which must have bored the shit out of you. But basically, you're making a lot of cash. And journalism, if you don't know, doesn't pay very well, except for certain people. And lo and behold, Eddie Dominguez, a former colleague of both of ours, right. um, actually our boss, he went ahead, he, he spotted you, he hired you, you started covering real estate at the Miami Daily Business Review. I was working at the Daily Business Review as a banking reporter. And you and I sort of got to uh, start running around. And before you know it, overnight, you were the guy who was breaking the big real estate stores. So can you kind of take us from that point forward, which would have been early 2000s? Yeah. I mean, I would say I would differ with you a little bit in that you were breaking as many, if not more, of the stories. And I joked with Peter often that he should be covering real estate rather than me because he was just an amazing resource of information. And he was just as hard driving as I was. But uh, in terms of the market, I, I think what was interesting about that market was that we were at the at the front end of the climb of a of a, you know, very energetic and dynamic real estate market that probably downtown Miami hadn't seen uh, in in a long time, you know, maybe uh, a few generations. And there was a lot of on in terms of. Uh, real, residential real estate in terms of office real estate in terms of uh, retail and there were a lot of different pieces that made that possible part of that was the city of miami because the city of miami with manny diaz as mayor uh, was very pro development and investment and really that began uh, this incredible boom that the city of miami went through that it's still uh, that is still the foundation for where we are today. And it's let, let, to Oscar, let me time. let me provide the audience some context. Yeah. So um, uh, basically, when what we're talking about is we're talking about South Florida. South Florida is comprised of three counties. You got Miami Dade, you got Broward, you got Palm Beach County. Altogether, a little bit north of six million people or so. There's about 19, 20 million people in the state of Florida. So you can see that's a really big portion. Now, in those three counties. The lion's share, roughly three million, are in Miami-Dade County, another two million in Broward County, which is where Fort Lauderdale is, and then in uh, Palm Beach County, a little bit over a million. That's where Mar a Lago is. That's where uh, Donald Trump uh, likes to spend his time, uh, right. if you will. So, so of those three counties, condominiums were always sort of a thing, but they were primarily a thing in Dade County because of density. 
we have something, if you think geography and our topography of South Florida, think of it this way. You got this peninsula that's running all the way down. On one side, you have the Atlantic Ocean. On the other side, you got the Everglades. And basically, the feds and the local government have put in place a line called the Urban Development Boundary Line, which basically hems in everyone. What is, what is the Urban Development Boundary Line? It's effectively the official demarcation line for where the alligators live on one side and where the people live on the other side. Certain places, you'll go to a place like Weston, you walk out of somebody's house, you cross the street, and there's basically Everglades and sawgrass and, and alligators in theory right there. Versus the other side, you got some uh, cookie cutter uh, McMansion uh, that's sort of put up there. So because of this lack of space, basically developers are forced to go high because there's no more land to go west. Now, when you get in a market like Orlando, Orlando isn't hemmed in because you got the Atlantic on one side, you got the Gulf of Mexico on the other. And therefore, when prices go up, you simply go west or north or east or south. In South Florida, as, as uh, the land is consumed and other land is protected, the only way a developer to sort of run his hustle or her hustle is basically to go vertical. So in 2000, during the cycle that Oscar was talking about, which really kind of began in 2002, 2003, right. downtown Miami primarily, which was desolate. There was nothing there. And I'll never forget, yep. Miami New Times did a piece. After the 2000 census came out, they, they ran a headline saying, we're number one. And what that meant is Miami was the poorest big city in the country. <laughs> and because of that, Manny Diaz, who was the mayor, I would argue, he wanted something to fill the coffers for the city. And the way you fill the coffers in Florida, because there's no state income tax, is about a third of your property tax goes to the county, a third of your property tax goes to the school, school board another third goes to the city so manny realizing that everybody was landing at miami international airport they were then going through his city going to miami beach where all the rock stars were hanging out if you will the versaces of the world he said why don't we poach some of that and let's start encouraging developers to build so what the developers did just to give you context from from the late 50s when the condo law was created in florida up until about 2002 you had about 11,500 condos built in what we call greater downtown miami during the last cycle 2003 to 2010, they put up 22,000 units. So you're wow. talking about a tripling of supply effectively in seven years. And now this cycle, they added another 12,000 or so. In addition, wow. they put up about 10,000 um, rentals. So you can see we've gone from basically nothing to this massive uh, situation. And I would tell you, if you want to get a visual or perspective about greater downtown Miami, which really kind of drives the market because that's the place where developers could go as high as 84 stories and counting. They go higher, but the FAA, which controls the uh, the flight paths, they're constantly fighting because as the planes are trying to descend and land, you got this damn condo tower sitting there. And why does the developer want to put it up? Because they're going to get a higher price, the sort of the taller, the higher the kind of unit is. So th this is the push-pull that's going through and, and sort of playing out. So Oscar, the era, the time he's talking about was really when it was all humming and the city of Miami was trying to become rich by ultimately – encouraging uh, uh massive 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 density so he was right there at the forefront sorry i i didn't mean to no no i'm glad that. i'm glad you you gave that detail i mean you, that you are the king of data it's it's one of the things that i find most impressive and peter was was right along with me i mean we were covering the first major boom and we saw a lot of the players who are now can you know still in the market making very important projects uh, they were there. They were there then, and they continue now. Yeah, yeah. You know what they call those, Oscar? What habitual of habitual offenders. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, those are your words, not mine. <laughs> so, I mean, I I think where we are right now in the market, 
because I know that's one of the things you wanted to talk about. No, 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 no. I don't want. I yeah, I do want to talk about it, but let's put that on hold. I don't want anybody okay, to okay. see what you got to say, and then they're gonna sure. they're gonna leave because I'm sure, gonna run sure. a couple more ads. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so in terms of uh, journalism, journalism. So, so as, you're at the review. Yep. Yeah. No, well, think, yeah, but you're 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 at the review. Where yes. do you go next, and why? So from the review, I went to the South Florida Business Journal because it was. At that point, I had developed a reputation and I was able to parlay that into a little more money and, you know, some more opportunity. And uh, I went to South Florida Business Journal, which, again, I covered all three counties, which was a lot of fun. And again, I was doing a lot of similar work and I was able to work with Brian Bandel, who's still there. He's a senior reporter. And in addition to doing my individual stories. He and I worked together and we did some, you know, award-winning stories there as well. So it was a lot of fun, very challenging. Uh, where things changed towards the end was that social media was really kicking in uh, towards the end of my, I think it was six or seven years that I was there. And um, at that point, there was a quota of four stories a day at South Florida Business. And uh, you can imagine, I mean, four stories a day, that's 20 stories minimum per week. And, uh, and and if you have two or three sources per story, think about how many telephone work. calls that is. Oh, it's 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 insane. So you had to sort of triage the content a little bit. You know, you would write a couple of press releases, as stories, and then you would jump into the more complicated stuff. And we we were able to produce a lot of good work. I really enjoyed my time there. I liked the people. But it was time for me to leave. And at that point, I left and I joined a company called Kreps which was in PR. And then, um, what, and then Oscar, what, what, what year is that around? Uh, that was about five years ago, five years ago. Okay. So yeah. we're in 2020. So you're talking, uh, right. as this current cycle, which began at 11, right. As it was starting to hum. Yeah. And I was there for a short term, short time. And I really saw that where I wanted to be was on my own because I wanted the opportunity and the risk uh, of being in the market, you know, putting your skin in the game as, as people in real estate say, I didn't feel like I had enough skin in the game to make enough of a return. So I went out on my own, but I also joined this company, Influence Communications. Where Influence I've been for, Communications. That's right, where I've been for the last uh, four or five years. And what's great about them is that they specialize in Spanish language, and even though Spanish is uh, an area where I haven't focused my writing and reporting, I can focus on the English side and everybody else focuses on the Spanish. So it works out really well. And I contribute so, so, to the Spanish as well. So, Oscar, let me ask you a question. If somebody's out there listening to this, they could be wherever, New York City, they could be in L.A., they could be in, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Guadalajara, if they're listening to that and they're saying, huh, interesting, I would, you know, I might want Oscar to maybe do some public relations. I like his demeanor. Maybe I want to get some consulting from him. Um, your firm, you guys do English and Spanish or just Spanish right. or, or what, no, what, what, what exactly English is? and Spanish. Okay. And the thing, this is the, the, the irony of, of the Miami market is that you would think being Miami, which is some sometimes called the gateway to the Americas, that there would be a lot of firms that, that deal with, public relations and government relations or whatever it is in both English and Spanish in-house, right? Which means their staff 
in the company itself who are focused on Spanish. And that's actually not the case. We are one of the few companies that actually does Spanish language outreach. And we have another, another specialty or two more. One of them is how companies interact with government because that's a very complicated process and we help communicate uh, messages regarding projects and people and, and different things that are going on in the community to government as well as the community, the public. And then the last piece is crisis management, which is one of the more fun and challenging areas. So if you get in trouble for whatever reason, out of your control, because of a decision you made, we can come in and help you address the media, make some decisions about how to have a long-term strategy and a short-term strategy. Like right now, there are a lot of companies going through this adaptation period it's particularly restaurants that are trying to figure out how can i reach my customers and we're helping through social media and different things to make sure those customers if they're restaurants know that they're still delivering food and they can do takeout and all this stuff so there's a lot of stuff that we're doing and it's it's fun it's challenging you know and like every everybody else we're uh hurting you know businesses slowed significantly for everyone and we're trying to help them continue that process so you don't have to just sit at home and say oh man you know i have to close my doors because nothing's happening we can help you uh try and uh, make that connection with your customers so that it exists now and into the future after everything hopefully comes back so we'll so, so so oscar oscar quick question typically when the economy goes to shift uh like right. it is right now um one of the things that uh, a lot of companies do right away is they cut their marketing, they cut their advertising, yeah. they, um, they, they, they pair back, um, you yes. know, admin people, things like that. Generally speaking, is that a good strategy? Is that a bad strategy? What, what, what do you sort of suggest uh, so you can give them free uh, um, consultation? So in our market, our market, like with everything else, we're a maturing market, right, in terms of business and, and corporate style decision making and as a result some companies look to marketing as the first thing to cut and i don't think that's specific to miami i think that happens you know probably everywhere the difference and this is why some pr agencies focus on real estate is that a condominium developer has marketing budget built into their uh, budget overall so it's a line item so they're going to get paid from the developer uh they're almost guaranteed while in other parts of the real estate market like industrial commercial there isn't that kind of line item they have to pull that money out of their operating budget or create a new line or so you have to you have an even higher level to convince people that it's the right decision to make i would argue well oh, time out time out before yeah. you argue because what's going through everyone's head yeah. is how much uh, so if a pr firm gets hired to represent a condo tower Let's say uh, ABC developers putting up a 50-story tower in downtown Miami. They're going to sell units at six to seven hundred a foot. There's right. four hundred units. How much money is that PR firm likely to ask for, and how much are they likely to receive? And then at the end of the day, when a developer renegotiates at the table, what are they actually going to get in their bank account? So that's a great question, and I cannot answer that question because <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're not doing the cha 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 here. No. I don't, we don't do that type of work. We don't do condominium development okay. representation. So that's not, I don't know what the going rate is these days. I can tell have you, you 
Yeah, have you heard about it? Has there ever ever anything ever been said on the street? No, it's very lucrative. Are? It's very lucrative, and there's a lot of it because in this market, there's a lot of condominium development. So, uh, you know, it's it's very interesting because, like with any other industry and any other uh, part of the market, you would expect some of the bigger players. Uh, the biggest players to pay a lot of money for this type of work. And in effect, they don't. And the reason is because like with everything else, it's like Macy's being an anchor in a mall. You need a Macy's. So you're going to give them a discount. You want them in there no matter what. And in the case of PR, sometimes it's those big companies local or from out, out of the market who are actually paying less than what is typical for the market because they're going to bring in other developers who are going to pay the right amount or more. So it's a very strange kind of dynamic that is counterintuitive, but everyone understands you bring in a whale and it's going to be a loss leader, but they're going to help you bring in other customers. So got it. That's, that's just the way it works. Got it. And, and, and just for clear, for clarification too, some, you know, you and I are obviously in the industry um, or I was in the industry. You, you are in the industry. What, what um, define, public relations and define marketing. So that person, again, listening, wherever they might be listening is saying, you know, what, what the hell are they talking about? What's PR? What's marketing? I right. mean, if from, from your perspective, because everybody has their own uh, school of thought. So let's just right. so we're all on the same page. So it's, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because it is a difficult one for clients and, and people to understand. Public relations is basically uh, the means by which an individual or a company or an organization communicates with the public, you know, with anyone outside their company. And it's, uh, you know, it, it could come in various ways through press releases, through information on their website, through, um, you know, press conferences, through uh, brochures, through all kinds of different ways. And then marketing is, a, a, you got to think of it like a campaign, right? A marketing campaign. So, um the marketing campaign for um, for Apple, where they had, you know, the 1984 ads from way back when, that's marketing. They're trying to create and establish an idea that is going to stick with the consumer and achieve a certain goal, which is ideally sales, you know. So branding can sort of overlap with marketing sometimes, but it's basically those are the ideas behind um trying to get information out so it can be through bro brochures through direct, uh, direct mail through different kinds of uh, mechanism and tools to get that information out got it got so it. it's very different so so oscar what, what once again um uh what's the name of your company and influence uh, communications. What, what, yeah influence communications what's the website and what's the telephone number so influence.com c-o-m-m dot com so it's influencecomcomm.com. And then just call me, 786-348-9257. That's the best number to reach me. Okay. And you also, too, are launching a podcast. We're going to be talking about PR uh, and marketing types of events. Uh, where can people find that on uh, Anchor and then any other podcast you might have uh, going? So Oscar the Flack at uh, Anchor would be... <laughs> Why, you, why want to, you, 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 you want to spell that? <laughs> no, I think people will get it. I think people will be able to figure it out. Oscar, Oscar the Flack. F-L-A-C-K. Right? Okay. 
And it's funny because when we were reporters, Flack was was an insult. You know, yep. I mean, I never called a reporter. I mean, a PR person a Flack, but there were reporters who did. Uh, but anyway, so, that's on Anchor. That's right? on Anchor. So so it would be anchor.fm forward slash Oscar the Flack. F-L-A-C-K. That's it. That's got it. it. Okay. And any other podcast you got going? I do. I have uh, because I still have uh, the heart of a journalist. I uh, I started a Miami View uh, podcast with it's actually a, a video show with uh, community newspapers, and okay. that that can be found on Facebook through Miami View and and there's a women's show that we started called Miami View Women, which is just women. And uh, you can find that also on Facebook. So, I mean, my heart is in social justice. And yep. that's part of the reason why I still am interested in talking about real estate and all these things, because I think there's opportunities to think about real estate in ways that can change a community and, and change people's lives in, in ways that are fantastic, that are positive. I think Miami is headed in that direction, but there are a lot like with any maturing uh, city, we need strong leadership and and wise leadership to be able to make it through these challenging times. And I want to pause right there because um, I had told you let's do two segments. Um, I'm looking at the clock, and we're basically done with the second segment. So what I want to do, assuming you'll uh, carry over, yeah, um, I want to take another break. Okay. At the end of that break, we will come back, and now we're going to get into really sort of what's going on and what what's sort of the future going forward. So anybody who's basically uh, listened up to this point, they were waiting for you to give some sort of prediction or projection, anything like that. I want to get into that on the other side of the break, uh, assuming you're you're good with it. Yep, let's do it. Okay, so um, uh, you're listening to Count of Vultures podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski, and the esteemed former journalist, Oscar Musabai. Um, we're going to take a little break now. On the other side, we're going to start to actually roll up our sleeves and talk about what's going on in the South Florida and primarily Miami condo market, as well as the real estate market, as well as the economy. Some of the clients that the uh, Oscar firm works for, uh, uh, what are they hearing on the ground? What's the outlook? Are you worried about coronavirus? Are you saving your cash? Are you burning it? Are you putting everything on hold till 2021? We'll discuss that on the other side of this uh, break. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. So we are going to come down to our third segment. Third segment is actually going to be with Oscar Musabai. We're going to be talking about uh, some of his, uh, some of the stuff he's seen, kind of where we're at today and what to kind of expect kind of going forward in the South Florida marketplace, especially from a real estate perspective. We're going to be playing off of the whole coronavirus COVID-19 scenario, maybe comparing it to some of the situations we've had to deal with uh, uh, back in the day. I'm thinking Hurricane Wilma, stuff like that. And, um, you know, now is when uh, Oscar's going to sort of earn his money. He's going to give us some of that context, some of that institutional knowledge uh, that he's been able to build up over the uh, past, I don't know how many decades in journalism and marketing in the uh, South Florida marketplace. So, um, Oscar, are you there? We still got yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, we're, I'm still here. 
All right, fantastic, Oscar. Let me let me start off. Let, let me sort of lay out my scenario, and then I want to I want you to sort of uh, chime in, and I'll I'll shut up and listen, which okay. uh, I don't always do. So, um, generally speaking, where we are today is coronavirus hit in effectively the United States and Florida. We started getting warned about it in early March. By the time we got to late March, uh, the United States was basically on lockdown. And then shortly thereafter, the state of Florida has slowly started to uh, make people uh, shelter in place, if you will, um, with uh, d- just trying to deal with the with the overall situation. So what's happened is basically the economy has come to a standstill. We've heard a lot of stories about the restaurant workers all getting laid off, the restaurants closing. I don't know if you're aware of it, but uh, one of our go to's, the sugar cane over in Midtown Miami, it was just announced uh, that they're going to be closing probably for good. John oh, Martin's, wow. which has been around for like 31 years over in the Gables, they're, they're now shutting up shop. Um, yeah. Some of it was based on leases. Some of it was based on a variety of different issues, increased competition. But basically, coronavirus was sort of that, that uh, or COVID-19 was basically the catalyst, the trigger for all this type of stuff. So I want to put out a proposal. I want you to sort of give it some thought and tell me that I'm wrong or hopefully agree with me. So back during our last cycle, our real estate cycle, which basically went from 2003 up until about 2010, with 2005 being the peak of activity from a condo perspective in terms of actions, people moving, doing deals, 2006 being the peak from a pricing perspective, flattening out in seven, ultimately bottoming in nine. Uh, shortly thereafter, Lehman Brothers, uh, after Lehman Brothers uh, failed, created the Great Recession. By 2010, we were cleaned up. We started building again, and we've been running since 11 onward in terms of new condos. Now, while we were doing that in 15, I would tell you 2015 was the peak of activity from a buyer perspective, hitting the ground. You know, the guy driving Uber or the woman uh, uh, cleaning pools, they were going out buying condos. I would say 15 was the peak of activity. 16 was the peak of pricing. 17 stalled uh, because of everything that went on with Donald Trump and his pressure on the Federal Reserve and cutting interest rates and keeping them artificially lower than they probably should have been. We, they were, the market was able to get a couple extra years of basically artificial growth because of low interest rates and a relatively weak or let's say reasonable dollar. Now, all of a sudden, uh, what should have probably happened in 2017 or 18 uh, but not for the low interest rates. Now, all of a sudden, the shit is sort of hitting the fan. I would compare that to you. And, and who's to say what the future is? But I would compare that to you as to the last cycle. 03, we start. 2005, we peak activity. 2006, basically, is the peak of pricing. I would argue with you that when we had our, our hurricane uh, onslaught in Florida, 2004, 2005, when the hurricanes were just rolling through Florida, as well as the United States, whether it be Katrina or Wilma, what basically happened is Hurricane Wilma hit in roughly about October of 2005, right as we were going into our winter season, which would have been the peak of the last cycle. Once Wilma was over with and the insurance companies finally started writing insurance and banks were lending again, basically the market never came back. It stalled in six, uh, uh, not as much activity, but you had pricing still going up for those suckers who came in. They were still believing in all of the hoopla. By 2007, it flattened. 2008 started free falling. Lehman's failed for bankruptcy, and the rest is sort of history. I would argue to you that maybe what we're going through now because of COVID-19 is a halting of the market, and chances are the momentum will not be there. We're basically going to have to start from scratch to get it going again, and I'm arguing that I don't think it's going to happen. I think what's really going to drive the activity is basically going to be discount buyers who are going in, taking advantage of the downturn, assuming we're able to get out of the health scare aspect of it. Um, what say you? Am I crazy? Am I right? Uh, is it sort of somewhere in between? 
I mean, our market is cyclical. I don't know if it if it works that way everywhere in the country, but our market is very cyclical and it depends heavily on Latin America's individual countries and how those countries are doing. Uh, if they're doing well, specifically places like Brazil, Argentina, Venezuela, Colombia, uh, Mexico, then Miami's real estate market is doing well. If, if any of those countries have issues, then it could affect uh, part of the market. And if they're all having issues, well, then we're in big trouble. So uh, I would say coronavirus right now reminds me a lot of what happened with Zika, where, um, as you remember, Peter, Wynwood was a ghost town. I mean, they were discounting everything to try and get anybody into those bars and restaurants. The difference is that they were still open. Well, right, right now, everything is closed. I think what's interesting about this time right now is that if you read the coverage of real estate from any of the publications, you see a very odd thing, which is that construction is continuing in Miami-Dade County. Construction can continue, even though there are concerns about uh, distancing and there are a lot of people who are at home stuck in their houses and they're hearing all this noise, construction noise that they never heard before and they're complaining. So it's putting some pressure on local government to stop the construction. But the reality is we really have like three core uh, industries in Miami. One is tourism, one is construction, real estate, and the other one is finance. So I'm thinking that local leaders are saying we can't stop the construction because if we do, then we're really going to create some problems. And I can tell you, driving through town, whether it's Miami Beach or uh, city of Miami, I see workers working all the time. So not much has changed. Now, what does that say about the market? Well, the projects are already funded because the banks have provided those mortgages to start construction and continue construction throughout the way that our market changed in this current cycle versus the last cycle is that in at the start developers were asking for a lot of of uh, money for individual units uh, up until the time that construction ended so instead of uh, what was going on in the early 2000s where you put down 10% and then finance the rest and in some cases have these jumbo mortgages. This time around, people had to put up 60 to 80% for a unit uh, as the unit progressed in construction. No, no so, Oscar, just, just to clarify. So last cycle, some developers did ask for only 10%. And That's right. I, I, I'm not an attorney, so if you uh, don't think this is legal advice, talk to your attorney. Generally right. speaking, though, last cycle, when you put down your 10%, that 10% was going into an escrow account that the developer, right. in theory, was not able to use. What developers right. started with last cycle was a 20% deposit, and they would use 10%. The other 10% would go into the escrow account. So I just want to spell that out versus right. this cycle, 
which yes. basically banks didn't want to finance. And I dealt with it in podcast number one. So if you want to get more details right. about this, listen to the first podcast. But this cycle, developers didn't want to use bank financing or couldn't because banks wouldn't put money on the street for a condo, given the the, the tremendous uh, uh, trouble that they dealt with last time. This time, developers were asking 50% of the 50%. And again, I'm not an attorney. Check with your, uh, your legal counsel. But of that 50% deposit, 10 was going escrow. The other 40% was being used by the developer to ultimately go ahead and, 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 and build a project. So I just that's wanted right. to give that, that, that clarity. So I'm no, sorry. No, that's, uh, that's uh, 100% right. And in some cases, I saw as much as 80% going into some units before the, the project was completed. So there was a significant amount of investment and risk that individual buyers had on the line when a condominium was being developed, which was intentional. The idea was you're not going to default. You're not going to walk away from the unit like in 2008 if you have all this money invested. So. So, so, so what that means for somebody who doesn't know the Miami hustle, what it means is if you go under contract and it takes three years for that developer to build, any cash you put up basically is at risk. If you don't perform, which means show up at the closing table, come up with the rest of the funds, they're going to keep your money. You got no back. Uh, you, you got no recourse. You can try to sue. Uh, typically, if you sue with some uh, trumped up uh, concept. You might get a portion back, but basically you're going to get uh, your legal bills run up. So a lot of people don't go that way. So once you sign, you got to pay. And if you don't pay in terms of additional cash, they're taking what you put down. Just, again, to provide clarity for somebody who might not know the Miami game. No, I'm, I'm glad you're providing that context. I think it's, it's really important. So where we are right now is that there's a lot of volume in the market and Peter is going to go through those numbers because it'll blow your mind. The amount that's in the market right now is outrageous and more is coming. So if you thought that there were plenty of buildings that were out there that had been condominiums and had converted to rental, there are even more coming. Is that right, Peter? Yep. 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 Well, I mean, the, the lion's share of what's really outstanding with a few exceptions, at least in Dade County, now, Broward and Palm Beach are going to be a little bit different because they were sort of late to the game. Broward and Palm Beach are more driven by the domestic U.S. market versus Miami, which is, tends to be driven more, more by the international market. Remember back mm-hmm. in the day, and I dealt with this in the, in, the, in the first podcast, back in the day, the dollar was so weak. So the foreign nationals were really fueling development in Dade as the dollar started to strengthen. Foreign currencies fell. Developers increasingly went to Broward and Palm Beach County because they wanted to hit the buyer in Chicago rather than the buyer in Cali, Colombia. Yep. So at this point, if you if you do drive around town, you'll see buildings that are under construction. Some of them are offices. Some of them are condominiums. Some of them are rentals. There's a lot of money still out there. And you would expect that these projects are, are going to be finished. And Miami-Dade County is supporting that idea by allowing contractors to continue building. But in reality, the people who can withstand this kind of overwhelming Oh, you know, this kind of act of God or black swan, whatever you want to call it. Black swan. That's my favorite protein. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> black swan is uh, our deep pocketed developers who are building these very large projects and who can withstand and sit on a project if necessary, can convert their uh, condominiums to rentals, can support their projects with retail. You know, there are a lot of projects like that that are either on the boards or under construction right now or nearing completion. And those developers will likely be fine because in order to build a project like that, you have to have an incredible amount of money to begin with. So 
that's where we are in the market. It happened during the last cycle. It's happening now where you see these really massive projects that are under construction and that will finish. And then we're going to have to wait it out to see what comes next. Now, what I can tell you is that Office in places like Wynwood is still doing very well. And tell because, everybody what Wynwood is. Tell everyone for who's not aware of Miami. What exactly so, is Wynwood? Wynwood is uh, like a smaller neighborhood inside of the overall greater Miami area that used to be an industrial zone and now has been re-envisioned and and populated by all kinds of different restaurants and uh, residential, a lot of rentals, and also now is getting office, which is, you know, the final piece of this puzzle that has been carefully crafted by people like Steve Wernick. Who is who was a client of mine, Steve Warnick, uh, of Warnick and Co., who just opened his offices in Wynwood. He's the attorney who helped shape a lot of these projects and helped get them approved, and continues to shape the art that's all over the street. In terms and, of and, how... and, and to give context to that, back in the day in the '90s and the early 2000s, people would go to South Beach. They'd come here for the uh, for the sand as well as the nightlife. Well, today it's it's sort of moved. It's shifted away from South Beach. It's all moved to this Wynwood area in which uh, Oscar is sort of talking about. And the driving force was not sun, but it was wall murals or some would call graffiti. So famous right. uh, graffiti artists or wall muralists from all over the world have come here and painted on it. So basically you have a walking museum in a neighborhood. You'll wander. I don't know what the square uh, miles is of this area, but it's all concentrated. So the people came for the art. They spent money in the restaurants. Um, uh, they get in the coffee. They then started living there. And now we have the office coming. So basically what South Beach used to be, that's what Wynwood is today. And if you don't know the Miami area, you probably have heard of South Beach. So just just think about a shift in terms of where people go. And that's what Alex, uh, what um, uh, Oscar is talking about. Yeah, in terms of Wynwood, it's probably one of the most popular areas of Miami now internationally because people come from all over the world to but take no their sand. There's no sand. There's no sand, which is which is mind boggling. But the food is unbelievable. And there's there are a lot of murals and people love to take selfies. Right. So you can take selfies all over Wynwood because everything is uh, available to you to stand in front of these beautiful pieces of art that are on the street and you can make incredible you know, pictures. And that's one of the big drivers of people going down there. There's food, there's music, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Whoa, whoa, whoa time out. One of the big drivers you're saying is vanity. People wanted to take uh, selfies in front of some kind of mural. That's right. If you can imagine <laughs> that. If you can imagine vanity as being a driver for anything, yes. That's probably what it is. So what's happening is that in some pockets of Miami, there's still a lot of investment, even as things slow down. Mm-hmm. Now, the cities are having trouble because, like, Everybody else, some of their staff has to stay home and they're dealing with issues of taking care of other people. So I, you're, you're seeing, I think, the permitting process come to a halt in some cases. But overall, there are enough permits in, in, uh, that are active where construction is ongoing and will continue to be unless someone says, you know, uh, complains so much that it creates uh, an impossible situation for these builders and then they have to stop. But otherwise, it's going to continue. All right, and, so 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 let me ask you a question. Based on your clientele, uh, you you name one of your clients. I'm not asking you to, to refer to him, yeah. um, but based on your clientele, um, th- they're sitting there. Here we are in the beginning of April. Uh, coronavirus or COVID nineteen, one and the same, synonymous. It's it's running its way through the system. 
are are the people you're talking to saying, listen, we're going to be ready to rock and roll in May when basically you can go back on the street again. You don't have to wear these masks and these gloves. Or are they saying what happens if it comes back in autumn or fall and winter? Why would I go ahead and put cash in if I'm going to get hit with a second wave? Or wouldn't it be more smart to kind of give it a year and then try to come back Q2 of 2021 rather than jeopardizing any of my cash? What, what, what's the sentiment you're getting? Because I, I, I know what I'm listening at CNBC and Bloomberg and other things, people are saying basically 2020 is done. The soonest you pull the trigger isn't until, uh, you know, the next calendar year. Well, you and I both know uh, Warren Buffett's philosophy that it's the best time to invest when things are down. Correct. So, Wynwood being a great example is so expensive that there are very few players that can play in that market. But with something like this, and it's happening probably all over Miami-Dade, the values for land and buildings and other things are going to be uh, suppressed a little bit, are going to be, there's going to be pressure downward. And uh, that might create a lot of opportunities for different people to consolidate to, uh, for example, here's an unusual opportunity, depending on how you look at it right now, the County is allowing, uh, developer or construction companies to have to hire their own inspectors to inspect their buildings. What could possibly go wrong there? What could possibly go wrong? Right. I mean, you trust the, the builder to build the right way and you bring in your own inspectors. Hopefully you'll get a good result. But that's where we're at in terms of risk versus opportunity, right? So if there is a negative in terms of downward pressure on pricing and other things, which we've seen in the residential market, if it happens elsewhere, then there's opportunity. And if there's questions about you know, bringing uh, outside players into this market who haven't come here before, they can partner with existing players maybe to finish those projects that need still money to to finish construction. And the banks may be more wary of dealing with something like that. Yes, there's going to be pent up demand, but the expectation is that it's going to be there's going to be some slowness, some uh, uh, rustiness because the market came to such a dramatic and violent halt. So I think it's going to be a buyer's market more than a seller's market but beginning so, yeah. be, 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 beginning when the do, do buyers start pulling the trigger come may uh assuming we can take off the mask and take off the gloves or are buyers going to sit on the sideline until say q3 which begins in july third third quarter i think that the that maybe what this will do is sober sellers let's say on residential individual condominiums that are at the very high end it will loosen up towards the end of the year. But I don't think it's going to be a fast recovery because, like I said, and, and like you and I have talked about in the, in the past, there's a rustiness. And, and you said it yourself that you think it's going to have to restart from scratch in order to get the next cycle going. And I would say that there's some validity to that idea generally, definitely in the residential area. But where I see that there is absolutely no slowdown is the industrial market. The industrial market is booming. And why is that? Because it was booming before. And now because people are in their houses and they have nowhere else to go and they have to order everything through Amazon or Instacart or whatever it is, 
there's a huge amount of demand for space for those types of businesses that can provide those services. And it's, it's growing substantially. So the activity in the, in the, the industrial market is phenomenal. And it's going to continue to be phenomenal for the foreseeable future. Now, I just read a story that Prologis, one of the larger property owners in the country, is seeing, uh, you know, tenants ask for some rent abatement uh, because of all these issues. And they're trying to work things out uh, with their renters, you know, with uh, the leaseholders. And again, it's interesting because Wynwood is this kind of laboratory for a lot of new ideas. When Wynwood really started to take hold five years ago and the Goldmans were one of the most dominant property owners in that neighborhood, they were negotiating leases with new businesses, new restaurants like Panther Coffee and others. And they gave them, you know, very substantial discounts that ramped up over time because they knew that they would have to help them restart right or start in in the case of panther coffee now maybe that some of that is going to have to happen in this market as well with property owners and their tenants is that they're going to have to say listen we got to we got to reimagine some of these leases to help you guys get back on your feet because it's going to take a little time i mean i was having this but yeah go ahead well the only thing i throw out is Cash has been cheap and it continues to be cheap from a lender perspective. So if right. you're a borrower, you go to a bank, they're going to give you great interest rates. What uh, is the bank going to play along? Is the bank going to say, that's okay. Yeah. We'll give you a forbearance on your residential mortgage, meaning you basically take the debt, you put it on the back end, you pay it sometime in the future. But are they going to do it on the commercial end? Because if the bank is not, right. and, and everybody out there owning dirt in Wynwood or anywhere else, they'd be a fool not to lever it up. Yeah. Um, in terms of taking it because the money is so cheap, it's at or right. uh, slightly above inflation. So, so the question is, is the bank going to, uh, are the banks in general, are they going to allow landlords who aren't getting rent from their, their, their tenants to go months without paying the mortgage right. uh, uh, or the commercial loan? And if they're not, what sort of happens? Yeah, I agree with you. I, that's exactly the argument that Prologis was making that, Yes, the tenants are having issues and we have to pay our mortgages. Correct. So it's it's a very tough situation because everyone is hurting uh, or, or a lot of people are hurting. And, uh, you know, the money from the federal government through the CARE Act hasn't come down, hasn't come out yet. So people are. And, and for anybody, anybody listening, you're probably all well aware of it or maybe you're listening um uh, you'll be listening sometime several years down the line, and you want to know what that CARE Act is. Basically, it's a $2 trillion uh, stimulus program for companies as well as individuals that are highlighted for individuals. is $1,200 payments uh, for adults in the United States, 500 bucks for a kid, uh, effectively, just to try to put money on the street so people don't go out and start robbing and looting. Right, and there's also money for businesses with 500 or less employees Correct. where the business can get uh, some funds alone that could be forgiven and that money is supposed to go to pay their costs, payroll and other things. So that money hasn't come out yet. It's still in process. You know, we don't know how long it's going to take to come out. So people are going to be, you know, when when we come out of this, hopefully soon, they're not going to have a whole lot of cash. 
So yes, there's going to be enormous pent up demand, but where's the money going to come from? So it's a very interesting situation. I think there are a lot of unanswered questions that are going to be difficult to, uh, to really pin down until we see what the fallout is. So I think by the end of the year, hopefully the market will have improved across the board and not just in some core areas that are serving, uh, people at home and, and our current circumstances, hopefully everything will really begin to come back. But, uh, as you know, Peter, because you used to tell me those stories, the rental market for residences in Miami was soft before coronavirus. Yeah. Signs, Oscar signs. So what it would be is REITs, a big real estate investment trust. They would come down to Miami. Banks were given cheap financing. REITs had a bunch of cash cut stock valuations. They would go ahead and slapping up units, and they're saying, okay, we can go ahead and build a unit. We can, we can poach a tenant from one place to another, jack up the rent in the future. But the way we're going to get it filled is we're going to give you three months free rent if you sign a lease. So already a year ago, you had signs up on the side of buildings saying, sign a lease here. And you can basically move in. They had guys. They weren't dressed in chicken outfits, basically <laughs> standing on the corner, flipping around the sign saying three months free rent, three months free rent. And I was putting it out there in some of my um, uh, marketing for my condo construction tours, which are now condo correction tours. So, yeah, it's been going on for a while. And yeah. in terms of it, it, it playing out, what happens when everything comes online? What happens if you're a developer? Right. You're bringing it on. You got bank financing. All of a sudden, you're delivering to a market where everybody is is hurting for cash, right. and you're trying to get eighteen to two hundred to eighteen hundred to two thousand bucks a month for a one bedroom unit. When you know people are getting a twelve hundred dollar payment from the feds, try to keep their head above water. Yeah, it's going to be a, an amazing opportunity for buyers, and because probably what's going to have to happen is a lot of these owners of residences are going to have to dump. Uh, units and blocks, just like they did during the last cycle, to try and alleviate some of the debt that they're that they have on their books. So we'll see. I think there's a there there was a lot of opportunity right before this happened. There was downward pressure on pricing. We heard it across the board, particularly at the high end, right? Yep. Luxury units were being uh, down priced on a regular basis because people couldn't move their units. So. There's going to be more downward pressure. And as far as new construction goes, it may be a year before or two before that really takes hold again. We'll see. Now, 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 Oscar, we, we, we blew our, our time allotment again, but uh, yeah. this is very good stuff. Let me let, let me just wrap up. And, and again, uh, Oscar Musabai, former journalist, currently owns his own or is a partner in a uh, public relations marketing firm called uh, Influence Communication. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So. Um, uh, basically on the ground here all of his life, former journalist, uh, current uh, business, uh, uh, dealing with small businesses and big businesses that are doing stuff in, in Florida. Give me your outlook. Um, uh, take me out nine months. Uh, take me up to, to 2021. What are you and your clients doing today to keep your head above water? Obviously, no one has an endless amount of funds unless you're the feds. Um, and then what are you anticipating for 2021 and what are you anticipating a couple years out? So just sort of walk me through it from somebody who's on the ground in the trenches. So as people around the country and world listen to this podcast, they can get a true perspective as to what the real mentality is or the rationale is uh, right now currently in, in Miami from a business perspective. Well, I think that the uh, tourism market is going to come back strong pretty quickly because 
people want to come here no matter what. And if they do have some money, they're going to want to try and get a break from this, you know, very difficult time that we've all lived around the world. So I think tourism will come back very strong almost immediately. I think real estate right now in terms of the industrial market is going to continue to be extremely strong because of the demand for logistics and all these related businesses that deliver things to people's houses and to businesses and everything else. I think the residential market in terms of new construction is going to take a pause to try and figure out where the market is. And uh, we're going to have to see how the countries of Latin America do in the next uh, few months because they're struggling just like we are. And it's, we are very dependent overall on that market. I mean, in the last 10 years, 15 years, Miami has become even more diverse than it ever was before. An enormous part of Brickell and the population that has decided to uh, make their homes there are Latin Americans who are living here full-time or part-time. Let, let, let me give you numbers because I love numbers. Ballpark, yep. according to U.S. Census Bureau. And again, we're running the census right now. Yep. According to U.S. Census Bureau, basically 38% of South Florida, Dade, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County, is foreign-born. That means I was born somewhere else and I came here to live. Yep. Now, now I'm a resident in the census county. But to give you an idea, Dade County, Miami-Dade County, where City Miami is, Miami Beach is, Aventura is, Durrell is, 52% foreign-born. Go to Broward County, you're looking at 32% foreign-born. You go to Palm Beach County, where Mar-a-Lago is, 23% foreign-born. So what happens is, as foreign nationals come here, they create something called cultural affinity. I come here from Colombia. I like it. My family comes over. My friends come over. They like it. They say, what the hell? Why don't I buy a unit? Why don't I open up a business? And this is how it all sorts of, sort of spreads. So uh, and spreads out. And this is why it's such a big driver of the foreign uh, investment, direct investment that's going on here. But I just wanted to give our listeners some concept as to why uh, uh, Latin America really and the Caribbean re- and Europe as well really matters in South Florida, unlike maybe other parts of the country, flyover uh, parts of the country where you don't have that, that uh, you know, uh, that direct uh, economic impact. Yeah, and I think Miami as a, as a, a destination and as an economy is very adaptive. So the stories that I'm reading about and seeing on TV are about how local restaurants have, you know, uh, partnered with distributors, food distributors to begin to provide groceries to their normal buyers. So in addition to food, they also offer groceries because otherwise that food would go to waste. And that to me is emblematic of what the potential is for Miami as a whole, that I think we, we deal with a lot of challenges, but because we have all these different people and different ideas, we can find ways to adapt. And that's going to be the key to moving forward quickly, that we can figure out ways of providing services that can help people who want food, want, uh, you know, creature comforts, want to be able to go to the beach, hopefully soon be out at the park even, you know, and there's, excuse me, a lot of activity on the street now with people riding bicycles. You would expect that to be the norm here in Miami, but restaurants and bars are sort of like bicycles, (laughs) the equivalent (laughs) to some degree, because half, probably half the time, 
uh, most people are, are at a baseball game or at a football game, probably more football than baseball, but, um, and soccer is coming. So there's a lot of great stuff that's, that's here. There's a lot of great stuff that's going to continue to attract investment here. It's just a matter of being realistic and pacing ourselves so that we don't get uh, too far ahead of ourselves. But I'm very optimistic about the next few years. I think we're going to recover and hopefully our uh, sister countries in Latin America are going to recover at the same time and we can all help each other rise again. We'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, I think even in the worst of times, there's a lot of opportunity and Miami is all about opportunity. That's really, that should be our, our banner. You know, it's about opportunity. So hopefully people will continue to see us as a place where they want to plant their money and plant their roots. And, and just to follow up on what Oscar said, give you context. Um, city of Miami was incorporated 1896. Very young. Uh, community. young. It's only yep. coming up to 125 years old. So we're yep. in the early stages. We're, we're in the adolescent, not even adolescent stages when you compare it to uh, communities around the world. So we're still figuring it out. I like to compare it to the movie Gangs of New York, if you've ever seen that. We have the knife fights going on between Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and others because we're all trying to get turf. That's effectively what developers are doing. They're having a knife fight to see who can build up, put up the biggest and the best condo, who can get the highest price. So, um, Oscar, thank you for uh, spending so much time. Um, fortunately, we don't have a lot to do, given the fact that uh, Corona is still playing itself out. Hopefully, it's going to be gone relatively quickly. Um, I, I want to get you on the record saying you're going to be a regular contributor. On regular. This podcast. Regular? Yes. You're on regular. the record? Yes. Okay. Great. So we're going to be hearing a lot of you of these at least weekly uh, podcasts, if not uh, uh, more more frequently. Uh, remind everybody again, the name of, you, of the firm is what? How, do, how do they get a hold of you? How do they get a hold so of you? 786-348-9257, And we work with all different types of businesses, all different kinds of organizations, all different kinds of people that need help. And the hardest part for people to understand, this is a great example. The hardest part for people to understand, and I think you know this better than anybody, Peter, is that people from the outside of this market, particularly from New York, think that they can come here and take their New York ideas and just drop them into Miami. In fact, we had an architect about 10 years ago who came here and said that uh, their, his ideas and his clients' ideas were going to take my, you know, raise Miami into the 21st century. And we were like, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, this guy from New York is going to come here and tell us that we're basically backward, you know, or uh, just a backwater, you know. So the thing that most people don't realize about Miami is that you need to understand not only the culture, but the relationships and how to communicate uh, in a way that makes sense to this community, which is very diverse. Bringing these these uh, New York ideas here sometimes doesn't work unless you have a translator. You need a translator. So that's what I do for a living. And if you do it right, everybody wins. And hopefully that will continue and we'll continue doing great work and the city will continue thriving. And we want people from other places like New York, you know, professionals who come here with their great ideas. And they need to understand that it's a good thing to work with locals who understand how things work like you were saying the hustle right that's right that's what it is i mean that's the reality so anyway i appreciate your time thank you so much for letting me speak for so long i'm very excited 
because Peter is doing this, as he said. We've been talking about this for a long time, and Peter is a genius. I hate to say it, but he is, and he is going to bring some great things to to podcasting. It's going to be amazing. Thanks, Oscar, for the the compliments. Um, yes, I'll promise you that I'm going to buy you a drink, but all the bars are closed. So, fortunately, I'm going to I'm going to renege on that. That's right. Um, I want everybody to uh, tune in. We're going to do, uh, we'll do more podcasts again going forward every week. Hopefully we're going to have Oscar on here pretty regularly, if not uh, every single episode. If you have any questions, you have a complaint, you think I'm an asshole, you think uh, Oscar's <laughs> too optimistic, send it. Send a message to inquiry at condovultures.com, inquiry sure. at condovultures.com, or you can uh, call us 305-865-5859. Uh, for those of you who did send emails uh, uh, correcting me on some things I said in the first uh, podcast, I basically ran out of time, so I can't address them this podcast. I'm going to get into them the next podcast. So any comments, any feelings, any uh, expectations, send an email and we'll deal with it. But thanks for tuning in and uh, check back uh, uh, soon to hear our uh, upcoming podcast. And we hope you enjoyed it.